that's how we work. You know, it, it doesn't, we don't need much, you know. You know, you put me in a good shop, that's shitting in high cotton right there. Print friends, and welcome to the 41st episode of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with people from the print world who are doing something a bit beyond the expected. So please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice, or share it with a fellow printmaker who you think might be interested. Thank you so much to everyone who supported Peace the L through our Patreon this week or purchased through our online print gallery. I know this is a very uncertain time for everyone, financially and otherwise, and I see you, I feel you, and I thank you. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. You are in for a treat this week. My guest is John Hancock. John is a bit of a legend in the contemporary printmaking world. I've had past guests who have studied with him, and his mix of performance and printmaking has earned him the well-deserved title as a granddaddy of contemporary printmaking. I also noticed when we were editing this episode that I can't remember the last time I laughed this much during an interview. So, you're gonna love it. And without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to be amazed with John Hancock. Hey, John, how's it going? Uh, fine, thanks. And you? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. How's uh, quarantine life treating you? It's great. I come out of my little uh, hidey hole about twice a day mm-hmm. to use the bathroom, get a little vitamin D, and uh, <laughs> and then just go back in the hole. Yeah. So. And is that hole the studio? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the uh, affectionately known as the rat's nest, wolf's lair. <laughs> Um, I did have to clean some uh, rat excrement off my uh, work desk, but that's uh, that's fine. It's part of how I live. Yeah. So. Well, it's you know it's these little chores that we can finally get to right now that we're all in lockdown. Well, I would say that I know you and your work again. Just kind really, of, I do. I do. I would say I know it. Um, you know, just by reputation and from. You know, seeing it at SGCI's here and there and, you know, knowing that a lot of the people that I've had on the podcast know you and speak very fondly of you. And I'm really excited to to have a chat and learn a little bit more about you and your background. But before we kind of dive in, I'm hoping you could maybe tell everyone a little bit of an introduction and just let people know who you are where you are, and what you do. All right, let's see. Uh, John S. Hancock from the great state of Texas. Uh, born here, probably die here. Uh, I teach at a small unnamed university in central Texas, and um, I just make art. Mm-hmm. I went to, let's see, where did I go to school? I went to Baylor for my undergrad, and I uh, started out as a, journalism major mm. and then my brother kind of got me into uh printmaking he shoved a plate in front of me he said, here you're drawing this I said, okay and then after that i said damn i'm gonna go uh change my major and mm. i guess i've been uh making prints ever since i was 18 my second semester in college so yeah and then uh did that ordeal and then uh went to texas tech and got my master's out there kind of jumped around from just odd job, worked the highway department for a while, uh, landscaper, carpenter, taught, teaching now, one of those cushy jobs, you know, <laughs> academia. Academia has the, the nice work if you can get it, for sure, but I think that it's it's getting a little bit tougher for some, some of those people yeah. coming out with MFAs to find something that's beyond a semester commitment, unfortunately. Yeah, I've done my share of that, too. Yeah. Uh, I just remember when I was finishing up as an undergrad, my teacher said, well, if you get a master's, then you can teach in, in college. I said, okay. So my whole idea is I'll get a master, 
I'll teach you to college so I can have a, a shop to work in. Not teach, but have a shop to work <laughs> in. So that's pretty uh, petty and uh, what I wanted. So I guess teaching just the collateral damage of having a shop to work in. <laughs> Fair enough. I think a lot of people are, are probably wishing that they'd invested in a home studio right about now. Mine's sitting a bit fallow, but I'll get it uncovered. I have the luxury of working at school a lot of times. but mm. So did you grow up in Texas then as well? Uh, yeah, I grew mm. up in uh, Waxhatchee, Texas, just south of Dallas with my two brothers and my folks. And just normal childhood, just little savages, you know. <laughs> Just normal kid stuff. So you said your brother was the one who introduced you to printmaking, but was art a particular part of your growing up? Did you guys go to museums? Did you have artistic blood in the family that inspired you? I guess so. My mother, she knew how to draw. Some of my memories would be that when they got done smoking their pack of cigarettes, they'd take it apart and give mm. us that uh, foil wrapper and say, here, draw on that. Huh. So we'd draw on that sort of stuff. And then... Uh, we always went up to the Fort Worth museums quite a bit, the Dallas Museum. So mm -hmm. I guess we were pretending to be cultured. You know, my I think my dad liked going to the art museums too, but I think my mother was seemed fairly cultured. Yeah, we always we always messed around with stuff like that. I really associate Dallas as being quite a good hub for art now and quite a place where people take patronage pretty seriously. Was that the case as well when you were growing up? Has it always kind of had that legacy? I think so. The Dallas Museum of Art was always, they always had a good collection and we always ended up going to Fort Worth uh, more so because my dad really liked the Eamon Carter with the, oh, American art. A lot mm -hmm. of the, he liked a lot of the Remingtons and Russells. So we kind of grew up on that and my favorite one was Grant Wood Parsons Weems' tale. Uh, I'd always go look at that thing with the little George Washington in the bottom corner of it. And just, so I always liked Grant Wood from an early age, I think. That precision but bordering on a bit of surrealism, I think, is what I think about when I think about those kinds of paintings. Um, yeah, those regionalists were weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> I always liked a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Do you think that any of that shows up in your current work? Yeah, I'm, I'm ripping them off all the time. So, oh. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm using that R&D. It's not research and development, rip off and duplicate. <laughs> but uh, I just always kind of enjoyed the landscapes that they always had in it. So a lot of times just dump a rolling hill with a row of uh, Italian cypress or a plowed field or something just to kind of take up space because hmm. who knows what to put in the background of a picture anyway. <laughs> and so you say, you know, you kind of grew up and you were drawing and then you were originally thinking journalism. Was that from a political standpoint that you were interested in that? No, I was like kind of like write, writing and stuff like that. And it, I guess it was being kind of a uh, semi-vocational then I realized I, maybe I'll end up writing obituaries the rest of my life, a small town newspaper. And I realized eh, maybe that that's not the case. But, you know, my brother and I, we still write quite a bit. And we always do that for our performances. And... When you were introduced to printmaking, when your brother came in and just kind of handed you the play, was it something that you were drawn to right away? I mean, why do you think that maybe connected with you over drawing or sculpture or anything like that well i think he was he had a printmaking class back then the printmaking shop at baylor was in this dumpy old building and it was it was just a cool space to be in it kind of stunk and uh <laughs> smelled like solvent and uh he's always kind of making shit so i said well this is like fun and so i just would go down there and just hang out and it just kind of maybe it was the process part of it uh mm -hmm. and the idea of doing more than one editioning or doing a multiple that way you can give them to your friends so he, he's a printmaker too yeah i definitely wanted to ask because i think people know you as john hancock but also as one half of the amazing hancock brothers and also when you're talking about how you you're still someone who's interested in writing because i know that more than just printmaking you know you do spoken word poetry events and you do this kind of performance side of things with your brother and 
I would love to hear you speak to that a little bit and kind of how yeah. the amazing Hancock brothers came to be and what you all do and why you all do it. <laughs> well, gather round, children, for I have a story to tell. Now, uh, now we, I guess we've been doing it, this sort of stuff since like the 80s or whenever we, we've always kind of collaborated a lot. Um, and I think we did it as a kind of a ploy to keep people at the opening, at our <laughs> openings longer. So uh-huh. they, uh, they'd stay longer, maybe get drunk, and then buy something. So oh, we'd always say, dream. we have a yeah. performance in one hour. So we'd always, <laughs> we always used to do this like buffoonery and like costume pageantry and stuff. And people would wait around to hear us just like <laughs> holler <laughs> and, and, and insult people, I guess. But, uh, but it, it's something that's kind of stuck. We've been just doing it like, a lot, you know, we even have people say, Hey, can you just come on over and do a performance for us? So, okay, mm-hmm. sure. Let's get the band back together. So, mm-hmm. but, um, so we just, we just been doing that and we always kind of write just every now and again. Sometimes I, I'll write, um, when I need to, Charles will say, Hey, we've got a performance coming up. So, okay, let me write something new. He, he's a little more, um, thought out in his writing on more stream of consciousness. So for, for people listening who maybe haven't had the pleasure of seeing a Hancock brothers performance. It's not a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Who haven't had the experience of seeing a Hancock brothers performance. Could you talk about what a typical performance might include or entail if there is even such a thing as a typical performance oh well we usually um i'll get some sort of pickup band or we used to do instruments ourselves but now we my brother knows so many uh, musicians down in austin that he can always get at least a bass player and we have a standing uh bongo player for us uh always performs with us uh, and we just kind of like I don't know, read some of the classics and uh, try to hustle and and always do some sort of pitch where we say, hey, and now for the next 15 minutes, you can buy anything off the wall at twice the price. You know, <laughs> you know just kind of hustle people, kind of like a medicine show, uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, carnival barker sort of stuff. And, you know, sometimes it's worth the wait and a lot of times it's not. So. <laughs> We just read just like, you know, it's anything from poetry to diatribes. Lately, we've been, Charles has been pulling out some uh, classics for us to read to, like Burroughs and Hunter Thompson and that sort of stuff. George Bataille sort of stuff. So we'll throw some of that in. Because, you know, a cover band, they do covers. So mm-hmm. why can't we? And a lot of times it's just like just stupid stuff, really. I say it's stupid, but it, it has, I guess it has some semblance of meaning to it. It's not me to figure that out. I just do it. <laughs> You're just the yeah. vehicle. Yeah. I guess so. The, the spirits are speaking through me. I guess it, it's kind of like, we might have been barred from like, um, you know, I don't want to get too art historical or give any uh, credulity to what we're doing, but, uh, you know, like the, uh, dot us would do the performances and those sort of weird things. So it's mm-hmm. just a bunch of hustle and shuck and jive. We look at it. So. Yeah. But, uh, I guess that didn't even answer your question. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it sheds some light on it. You know, I think knowing that, especially when you're talking about that kind of carnival barker, which I think is a really good way to describe what it is, that it has this kind of like a surrealist carnival, maybe also late night beatnik poetry reading all kind of coming together and in, in, uh, in one, I would say. I guess so, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess that beatnik stuff, I guess that 
I always forget about that. Uh, but I just don't mm-hmm. know how to snap my fingers. So it's not so, <laughs> but I don't own a beret oh, or a turtleneck. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I um, mean, William William Burroughs did hang out in a bunker and collect guns. So, you know. <laughs> that's right. He was a junkie, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> and that's did, one of my um, big regrets, not seeing him speak, but that's fine. Yeah. What's a life without yeah. a bunch of regrets? <laughs> <laughs> and so I also know that, yeah, with the, the spoken word, the performance and all of that, but you'll also do actual like printmaking demonstrations or like a collaborative artwork where you'd be maybe working on like several artworks simultaneously and printmaking so there's actually a performance element in the creation of prints in your practice is that correct yeah uh these days i guess i don't know what these days mean maybe less 10 15 years uncle chuck and i've been we've been working pretty hard at collaborating on stuff Mm -hmm. I have some failed piece that I'm working on then hand it off to him and he'll spark it up and vice versa and we'll have a studio day every couple of months and we'll just wreck the shop and just Hmm. I'll just uh, load up a bunch of images into screens and we'll just start making making stuff just like printing on top of stuff painting back on it and so, and, uh, we've done a couple of workshops like that and it, uh, talk about wrecking a shop, you know, we'll, we'll plow through about a couple hundred sheets of paper in, yeah. in one of the workshops, letting everybody participate. And I, I think they definitely get their money's worth out of us. Because, uh, <laughs> I don't know, it, uh, I don't know, it's, it's pretty laborious, you know, somebody's either cleaning screens or getting ink all over their clothes or but yeah we, we can get some good things out it's like a shotgun blast you're going to hit something uh substantially mm-hmm. uh with it and um uh, you know we have a lot of horrible things that we make and then we just put them away and fix them later hmm. so mm-hmm. we always have something on stock and a lot of times when we we're getting ready for a show we always think oh we ain't got nothing we got tons of stuff, but we always say, well, let's make some new stuff. Mm. So our major retrospects are um, probably no more than six months old <laughs> with the work. So it's a lot of uh, recycled stuff. You know? mm. I think he, my brother pulled out a, a 20-year-old painting that he, that he printed back on, too, and then we fixed it up, made it look better. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I, I really, I love that because I think that a lot of people when they're looking to make or create anything, they can get kind of paralyzed in taking that first step and this idea that everything about that process needs to be controlled. And if they make something that fails, that somehow, you know, they'll never get over it. And so I love that idea of just making and making a lot and knowing that you can return to it and knowing that you can go back and curate it and figure out what you like and what you don't but just diving in to the act of creation um and just letting the chaos happen that makes it sound smart but yeah a lot of people <laughs> do they, they well they do get kind of, you know i see that with with the uh, the students they you know, they make one little mistake and the whole thing is ruined and they're going to get a, not get an A for the semester just because of one bad mark. I go, no, just keep making more. That's how I think, you know, Charles and I kind of think that uh, we have this adage that uh, printmaking is our pencil, you know. Hmm. It, we just like draw with the blocks or draw with the screens and then it, it comes together eventually, you know. We had this yeah. uh, uh, one project we did with um, Carlos Hernandez where we loaded up all the tables in my print shop at school with uh, paper. And we just started, like, you know, printing on them, printing on them. And then we'd work real fast and it starts getting slower and slower. And then we start, you know, curating more. So, okay, this needs something here, something bright there. And then after about three hours and okay pull the tape put down the next batch 
you know, they can get they can get resolved to a degree and and uh, maybe about three hour period. And that's about uh, 30 or 40 pieces going on at once between us. So it's a kind of good way to work. And then, you know, there's you never get bored or you never get stuck on something because you're always moving. Then you see something mm-hmm. new and it, it takes a little bit of the preciousness out of it. And once it gets a signature on it, that's when it becomes the precious object. So mm-hmm. and then it's just paint and paper. So it kind of sounds like stream of consciousness printmaking. I, I guess so. If you kind of work with a, a set of finite images, if you only have like 20 screens with three different images in each screen, you know, there's your possibilities there you know all the colors so yeah and you can tighten it up later we find that the flow works pretty good and it gets resolved pretty quickly and come out with something that looks half decent so something that i've also was curious to ask you because you're talking about this this way of working where you're kind of removing some of that preciousness and then i also know that you're talking about printing on paper but you'll also print on many other different things as well um, like, like yeah. plastic or Little Mermaid bed sheets or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> we, I forget which day was garbage day, but <clears throat> sometimes uh, my brother would coordinate when people get rid of big junk, uh, garbage day. So we just kind of cruise the neighborhood with, with uh, box cutters and say, okay, there's a mattress, take the top off, off of it or just go to Goodwill and look through the sheet section because hey, it's not a white canvas. It has a little mermaid on it, you know, Mm -hmm. it has some colors. So just kind of work with that. And Man, back in the olden days when we had uh, print on mattress covers, we ruined so many blocks that way. Mm. We just like shoved that mattress cover in a block through there. (laughs) Cracking a little bit, so keep running. (laughs) We blew up so many blocks doing that. So, uh yeah, we just print on whatever. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I came into this pallet of really nice plywood. So we've been printing on that, and I finally ran out of that. So, And uh, I think when I moved back to Texas in 90, I went to this junk store, and I saw this huge roll of fabric. It was about five foot tall and about maybe two or three, about two foot, feet wide real heavy and mm-hmm. I'm down to maybe about six inches on that. So we've been using that for years, had this huge water stain through it. So <laughs> we'll, we'll stretch that up, paint on it, print on it, you know? Yeah. And we always got something to print on. I couldn't tell you when I, when the last time I printed on a $6 piece of paper. <laughs> so. I've seen you both described as low tech print masters before in writings about what you do do you think that that's what people are referring to when they say that or do you think it has a different significance that could be uh partially true i think oh we always kind of scrapped for a long time just uh especially when i got out of school uh i didn't get that uh plum job right out of the gate i used to have to work for a living so I think I had this real crummy little press I procured someplace. And so we would print on that or, you know, print by hand. I don't know. We were, we were pretty gut bucket back then. We kind of still are. You, you kind of, you can't take the pig out of the mire, I guess, but uh, that's how we work. You know, it, it doesn't, we don't need much, you know, Mm-hmm. You know, you put me in a good shop, that's shitting in high cotton right there. Uh, <laughs> that's luxury items and stuff. It's always like the wake of the Red Witch. When we go into a shop, we always wreck it because we're used to either working in a garage or out on the ground or on the hood of the pickup truck, you know. But we always mm-hmm. clean up after ourselves. So. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what, leave, uh, take only photographs, leave only uh, destruction. I forget mm-hmm. how that. Yeah, something got. like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know some people that they're probably horrified at the way we work, uh, but you know, you give me a stick and a 
pit of mud and I can make something out of it. Mm. I don't need, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't need to have nice stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, my brother, he'll raid, he's in education also. He's a custodian at a uh, elementary school. So Mm -hmm. he's always pulling stuff out of the dumpster. Uh, we'll print on metal shelves, partitions, desktops, whatever. Hmm. So it seems like you're breaking some of the the printmaking rules a little bit. You know that um, again rules? that yeah. <laughs> did you, did you not? Did someone not tell you? Um, and kind of breaking down that that preciousness, which I love. I'm I'm all for deconstructing that that sort of artificial aura around art that it ha- creates those barriers of like, don't touch it. Uh, it's really special. It's not for you. You know, anything like that. I love any practice that goes up against that. Did you feel like the adage was true for you that you have to learn the rules before you break them? Or did the two of you just dive in with, with, all, with all the blasphemy you could muster from the very beginning? The blasphemy part is just a lifestyle. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to deny the, my pedigree, but uh, I, I do know how to keep uh, edges clean and uh, mm. tear paper. And I, you know, I, I can do a clean edition if I have to. I only edition anymore if I'm doing a, an exchange or whatever. And it's, you know, I know how, I know how to do all that stuff and. I guess I didn't know any better about learning the rules. I just kind of doing what I was ex- expected of me. So uh, I just do that stuff. And um, and I realize, you know, I got this big stack of really nicely done prints and they're still sitting there. What do I do mm-hmm. with them? You know, a lot of times, uh, again, when I say printmaking is kind of our pencil. If we need to addition something, we will. But a lot of times we just... There are a lot of times they're just one-offs, and uh, they use printmaking as the image part of it. So I don't know. It's just it's sometimes more fun uh, just to kind of wreck a wreck an image. But you know, I I do find a little bit of uh, solace and meditation and additioning stuff, and I know how to. I could print a litho mm. like the the rest of them, and I know how to wipe a plate. I enjoy actually wiping plates. But, mm. um, you know, I, I, I know how to do all that stuff. Uh, uh, I can fake it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Put me in a shirt with a clean collar and I, I you can take me to see your mom. You know? <laughs> and I won't embarrass myself. So. <laughs> you can show her your clean edges. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I know how to behave. Well, I think that. You know, one of the things when people are using printmaking to create unique pieces, I always appreciate that in a sense where I think one of the albatrosses around the neck of printmaking is this idea that it's really only good if you need to make multiple images or that somehow its capacity for the multiple is its chief value. And it moves away from the fact that each of the various media has its own aesthetic, has its own quality of line that you can only achieve really through, you know, through a screen print, through an etching, through a lithograph. And I think that gets lost a little bit. And when you're creating works that are unique using printmaking, I do like how that pushes back against that idea and saying, you know, yes, I could have, it was a lithograph, I could have printed 300, but I needed, you know, the line to look this way, or I needed something about the actual practice of the creation to create this outcome. And sometimes I'm I'm seasonal when it comes to which printmaking thing I do. Like uh, sometimes I like just busting out a bunch of etchings, or mm-hmm. I think right before the uh, great pandemic of 2020, I was uh, <laughs> I was in in there cranking out a bunch of lithos. And I, if I can get back to the shop, I I could do a litho a day, you know, what I do with them, who knows. <laughs> but yeah, I just like the act of drawing them, doing that type of drawing, and then that act of uh, printing it. So I, I enjoy different aspects of it, you know. Uh, I guess the uh, the solitary aspect of it I enjoy, and 
I like the free for all, like working with with uh, Uncle Chuck and making stuff mm-hmm. too. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a different vibe. Yeah. So. so we're talking a lot about kind of your personal practice and, you know, how you've come to it and that kind of thing. But I'd love to hear you speak to collaboration and having the experience of having your work kind of be wed to another person, but also someone that you're related to, someone that you've known your whole life. And I think, I don't know, I guess I'd just love to, to hear you talk about what that long-term collaborative relationship looks like if you think it's like influenced or changed your work in any way, any potential pitfalls in collaboration that you can uh, offer sage wisdom for people to avoid who want to be collaborators with someone, I don't know, just kind of speak to that process a bit more, I guess. Well, I guess uh, I'm going to say ditch the ego. I don't know that uh, mm. my brother and I ever had that, had that much. And just kind of taking something so far, you know, you can take a half-baked idea or a set of images and, you know, it's, okay, I'm just being kind of 100% half-assed on this one. Can you finish it? And so I just kind of trust him to do that. We we kind of think on the same wavelength about stuff. He has a better color palette than I do, so mm. he always uh, adds uh, kind of nicer things, I think, to it. And, and sometimes uh, he likes to approach uh, add in uh, kind of cruder sort of lines and images, more graphic-y sort of stuff. So that's always uh, pretty nice to give a little bit uh, little bit more meat to it. Mm-hmm. And he's completely buried tons of things I've sent to him. So, well, that looks pretty good. <laughs> no, but it's, uh, well, it's something he's responding to it, mm-hmm. and uh, he's not like he's whitewashing it and putting right, his own right. stuff on it. But we'll make, um, make screens or reuse blocks and stuff and do that and it's it's a little more uh, I, I don't worry about it like work with Charles uh, that way uh, because I know he'll fix it and he'll give me a handful of stuff here he said here fix it he, he says here fix these he said <laughs> get rid of these because I I can't do anything with it yeah so and so he knows that I'll I'll do whatever I do on top of them and uh Recently, we've been collaborating with uh, Carlos Hernandez a little bit mm. on things, doing these big mashup things. We just had a show in San Antonio where we just made, I think we had a 12 by 15 foot canvas that we wrecked. Mm. And um, we worked on it one day, then Charles drug it back to his house and he kind of put the coup de gras on it <laughs> and kind of like sparked it, sparked it up pretty good. I think Carlos was a little worried he was going to put too much weird stuff in it. But, uh, <laughs> I trusted Charles into, into into fixing it. So, but and he did a good job on that. So, uh, I don't know just who you're comfortable working with. And sometimes Charles and I won't talk for a couple of weeks, and then say, "Hey, let's, we got to have a studio day. Let's go make something." But he's all, he's always doing stuff in his studio, and I'm messing in mine. So. He does his own thing, and, and you know it's it it's not all collaborative. But I guess just being comfortable with somebody and trusting them, ditching the ego. I was thinking, yeah, you know, you're saying ditching the ego. That would have to be such an intrinsic part of just handing over a piece to someone, and just knowing that you have to be okay with whatever comes back and trusting them with it. You know, you can't. You'd have to really let let go of the ego, as you said. Yeah, I just I, I don't know that we have that much anyway. I, I know that a lot of artists kind of have a degree of uh, bloated self-worth and, mm-hmm. uh, and overindulgent egos, but, uh, and maybe, maybe we do uh, in our own way, but if it, if somebody doesn't like something I've done, that's, that's fine. You know, yeah. I, I don't make it for, I don't think he makes stuff for anybody's approval. You know, the, the bottom line's that check that we get from somebody <laughs> buys it, I guess. Yeah, that's that's but, some uh, of the best approval you can get, yeah. And uh, just making it for the sake of making it. I, I have this adage that I don't share with that many of the, the clientele, but I say, you know, what reason do you need to masturbate? It's the same reason you make <laughs> art, to do it for yourself. Uh-huh. You know, so that's... Uh, I just, I just do it. It's a, I don't know. I don't want to call it a, a life's calling, but I, I just got to make it. When you said like that, yeah, you two don't have ego. What would you necessarily attribute that to? Was that kind of like 
how we were raised or just inert personality? Like, how do you, how do people avoid getting that kind of big head about their work, which can be just so annoying to be around? And I, I don't know if uh, I'm blocking it. Maybe I did when I was younger <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, thinking, okay, this is how artists should be. You know, my stuff is precious, it's important. And maybe how oh, I was equating time and effort into something being good. Mm. You know, spending a lot of time on something and giving it value or worth that way. And I don't know when that when that's separated from me. I just I don't think Charles and I don't think that we were ever that good at anything. But we we and I think is the act of doing the making it. And it's maybe just like laughing at your own <laughs> joke, maybe. But I don't I don't know uh, when when that would have left up. Uh, uh, maybe I don't put a like a monetary value on it. Maybe that's what a lot of people do, and maybe that's their livelihood. Talking a different tale if I if I didn't have a job mm. and rely on selling my stuff. Mm. But you know, I know it didn't cost me uh, twenty bucks for that piece of paper that I did something on. And if somebody wanted to pay twenty bucks for it, it's, it's yours. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and get it out in the world, get it out from under my feet. So, uh, I don't know, I just, uh, I get get chided by a lot of my uh, friends. You're selling your stuff too cheap. You're not putting a uh, value on it or or what it's worth. What it's worth is what I get paid for it. I don't know, that may be me not being fiscally responsible, but uh, (laughs) that's kind of how I think. I just, I do it. I have a job. That's that's why I can be so flagrant with, with, uh, with not having money for my art. Yeah, the, the the pricing of prints is something that is, I think, so complicated and fraught for <laughs> so many people. Where, well, you, know, you were in the business, so I you was, know. Yeah, and and I think particularly if you've you know if you're working through a gallery, then it just gets really complicated because they, you know, galleries have their own agenda and their own long view of of what they're trying to work with and. You know, I think many people probably know, a lot of them don't even know how to deal with something that's a multiple and it just gets all complicated, but yeah. (laughs) I don't even know if I answered your question. I think you did. I'm slippery that way, I guess. Yeah, it's like that that politician trick, you know, no matter what I ask, you you can get, tell what what you're going to (laughs) say. Yeah, you you can edit it down to 10 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) But I don't know. I, I just sometimes I just never think about that sort of stuff. I just uh, and maybe that makes me kind of a bad educator or something, uh, or a bad communicator. I just I just just make stuff. Don't worry about it. And I think people do put too much monetary value on stuff anyway. So. Well, I think that's why people like me, the artist pesterers, can go in and and ask the questions. And it might be something that you've never had the need to think about before, but that's sort of, I guess, I don't know, I feel like part of my job is to bother people a little bit and and uh, see what they have to say, you know, which I think is, is always Oh, it's not a bother. It. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, no, no, and maybe it's something I need to think about. I just, uh, again, maybe I don't think, I just do stuff, so. Mm-hmm. Don't have to have a reason, remember? So I think, I feel like my... My next question is perfect to to ask on the on the heels of talking about I don't know ego and, and how one sees oneself because I've seen you described as a founding father of 21st century printmaking in America before, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Is it the 21st century? <laughs> it's the future already. <laughs> I don't know, and maybe you're getting uh, bad information from somebody. <laughs> uh, let's see, how am I supposed to respond to that? I mean, how do I feel about that? Um, I'll take it if it comes with a check or a trophy. <laughs> you know. uh, um, I don't know. I think maybe it's, uh, and I don't want to say uh, that I have a cavalier attitude about it, but I said, you know, just make stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and don't be. Um, don't be afraid to make something ugly or stupid. Just make something. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's. Uh, I don't know if that's irresponsible. Or just. 
you know, everything sorts itself out in the end, you know, and everything ends as it should. But uh, founding father, 24. I said, I'll take it. If somebody wants to put in a book, <laughs> I'll take it. It's kind of flattering a little bit, I think. Yeah. Well, so. it's it's the good people at Drive-By Press is where I got specifically it from. So if you if you okay. if you want to call up and ask someone but <laughs> how they That's got you put on the spot right there right <laughs> nepotism yeah <laughs> well I, I know joseph is and maybe he got a he got the raw deal on that because he had to study with me but uh, <laughs> i don't know he might have hit me at a good time and in terms of uh how to go about doing stuff and you know joseph has a great attitude about mm-hmm. it and, you know it's uh i guess printmaking's uh Oh, it's a good kind of gateway to whatever, you know, image making, I suppose. But yeah, I'll take it. Beautiful. Yeah. And I just, and I know, I I really do love what you were just saying too, about just making something and not being afraid if it's stupid or ugly. And I think that, that that is such, such an important lesson that's really hard to, especially as a, as a, someone who's just starting on a creative journey of some kind to really take to heart because I think a lot of that again it comes back to ego because it's if I make something and it's bad what does that say about me what does that say about my art and I think if you can kind of divorce yourself from hanging on to that need for affirmation of the ego through the the creation that you'll be so much freer to make something that's really decent because you're not afraid to push through the stuff that's not and um that's why um i think these days it it, it makes it a little bit difficult my attitude um especially being in education you know they're so concerned about whatever the assessment of their project is Mm -hmm. i'd say just you know and they they want uh the dog wants their treat you know for right doing the trick right and i just like and um i don't know my attitude about i'm actually kind of unlearning everything that i've learned <laughs> in graduate school and and uh and i don't know i just look at uh education's been a little backward these days i don't know i, I feel bad that the kids uh, have to pay for so much pay so much for you know the same thing that they get get off of YouTube or something, mm. but you know I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll show somebody like a uh, hundred times how to do something if that's what they need, mm-hmm. and just tell them to be themselves. And I'm I'm going to say the unpopular thing, and I'd say don't ever write an artist statement. <laughs> you know, you haven't got anything to say, just draw it. You know, and just uh, that, I guess the. Uh, I'm, I'm the world's worst academic these days, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, I just, I just want, you know, they'll learn by making, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a uh, how both roads are long and a little bit arduous, but they all end up at the same place. You know, mm. they just go in a couple of different directions. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I just, I just want people to make stuff. And uh, printmaking, yeah, is so technique and process, and so you have to learn the steps, but. If I had a kid that makes the world's filthiest print, but the image looks good, to put a mat on it, it'll be fine. Get the white out, get the white paint, fix it. You know, the bad teacher here. <laughs> so, and a lot of times, they, they people don't need anybody's permission to make stuff. They just need to make it. You know, there doesn't have to be a reward. Just because you ate supper don't mean you're getting dessert. Yeah, I think that idea of just because you've made something doesn't mean that you get a reward. I don't know. I just think that's a really significant statement because we're so much in the in our in our contemporary world, like the the rats in the cage that's like hit the button, get the sugar cube, post a photo, get a like. It's like it's this constant sort of need for that feedback. Like I've made something affirm me and again that that just is so linked to that idea of that fragile ego that needs to be propped up instead if it's that message that you're giving that's just like just make and don't worry about that it really if people took it to heart i think they'd be making more and i think they'd be happier too yeah of course you know, I said, you don't need a reason to make it just do it mm-hmm. 
you know, do it for yourself sort of thing. And, and again, a lot of times I just give my stuff away. So mm-hmm. I'm horrible at table sales and stuff like that. <laughs> my friends will just look at it. You just gave him like five prints. Said, How much you get? I think he had five dollars. You know? oh. <laughs> I don't care <laughs> if, if somebody wants to give it a good home. That's that's cool with me. Yeah. You know. I'm a bad educator and a bad businessman. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to have so many people at your table next year. And now the people being like, I heard on the podcast that if you tell John, you only have $5. Yeah. <laughs> Coming a lot around. of times I'm never at my table. And so I, <laughs> I hope that I'll just walk away from it and say, maybe somebody will take. I think Catherine Polk said, I went by your table and you weren't there. I said, would you take anything? I said, no. I said, Why not? I said, yeah. I thought I would, but yeah, take it. I don't care. Yeah. I won't miss it. Yeah. So, um, but I don't know. It just, I don't know. If, if, if it makes somebody else happy, that's great. Maybe that's my reward. Maybe right. That's my uh, salty uh, treat. So that the the MFA that that Tim's getting here in Australia, when he when he arrived here, it kind of turned out that the program was much more theoretical than he thought and and that was a bit of a disappointment because he was interested in the making and he's you know suddenly found that people are are asking him that you know that he has to cite Foucault and all this sort of thing and but after sort of his mid MFA review we we all went out to coffee it was me and him and his two advisors and one of them said something that I just loved so he was just like just forget about the theory just tell them my practice is my theory bitch I just (laughs) and I just want like I loved it so much and I just like I wish that that was kind of um you know could be taken more to heart by more makers and just some of what you're saying I'm just hearing that in my head but my practice is my theory bitch (laughs) and it ain't theory because it's actual right (laughs) absolutely you know that sounds more like one of those uh those weird PhDs and studio. It's all that sort of writing stuff. And I'm not saying that, you know, we don't have to be ignorant boobs about it. But, you know, if, if he signed up for one thing, he's getting another, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, get a cushy job just talking about making prints instead of doing them. Yeah. You know, save his back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I just, uh, I'm not as ignorant as I seem, but I just, I, I kind of don't, I can appreciate that smart talk and, uh, Foucault. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Wore out early 20th century bullshit. You know, <laughs> we're still, we're still stuck in the Bauhaus and we're in the 21st century from what you tell me. So. Yeah. Yeah. You've heard it here from the founding and, you know, father. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the future is now, <laughs> but you know, I, and, and that's why I've kind of reconsidered how I approach things. And, you know, we're still teaching that shit from the Bauhaus, which mm-hmm. I, I guess it's easy to do in a book or in a kit, you know, but you know, it's, I guess it's uh, based on what we're willing to look at, what we can tolerate to look at, you know, mm-hmm. why not break a few rules, you know? So again, yeah. my ignorance shining through, <laughs> I think some of it too is is based on this idea of somehow we have to look to someone else to validate the way we feel about something. You can't look at a piece of art and have the reaction that you have to it sort of stand alone in some legitimacy in and of itself. You have to find some old dead white guy who seemed to say something important about it that you can put in a footnote and all of a sudden your opinion is right. It's It just seems like so artificial and it's a snake eating its own tail in this theory world. I know. It's, you know, uh, I think like real little kids, you know, they... They, they know where it's at. They either like it or they don't like it. You don't, if something tastes bad, then you don't like it. Or hmm. something like burns your skin. That's not cool unless you're into that sort of stuff. But <laughs> like I'll go to, mu- I, I'll go to museums and I'll go bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> oh, that's kind of interesting. Bullshit, you know, and on a last ditch effort, if it interests me enough, I will go read 
whatever the artist statement is, and then I can declare it bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the artist in me, the visual artist in me, I just want to look at look at stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't want to read it unless I'm reading. I know that 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 sounds real crass, but uh, I don't know. There's a lot of garbage out there, and again, it's like some some by telling us what's you know dictating our tastes you know what's good and what's not so i i'll um i won't be uh written up by i don't even know who writes anything any anymore <laughs> these days so <laughs> it, it doesn't matter to me um well i am coming just a bit past my hour recording mark so all right thanks goodbye yeah. see you what? later what no no i'm wrapping up don't go no. <laughs> So I just wanted to make sure that before I sign off and before we uh, say goodbye, if you could tell people where they can find you, if they want to see your work and follow your work and reactions free of artist statements to your creations and all of that. As long as I hit that like button, that's mm-hmm. <laughs> Get you that sugar cube, right? Get my, get my fix. Uh, I think I have my Instagram uh, account where I post uh, a lot of art on there and you know sometimes we the Hancock brothers may come to a town near you and show their work so always come out to something like that because mm-hmm. uh, it's always like a, a cheap thrill <laughs> and usually it's uh, free booze so but uh, my Instagram uh, handle is N-A-T-A-S and you can find me there and you can look at stuff maybe that's where you can find it we don't have a website too hard to keep up mm-hmm. you know, maybe google us or something i don't know <laughs> see something is that is that enough information that's definitely enough information so that's definitely where people can find you it's been a real pleasure talking to you john i really want to thank you for for taking some time out of your evening and, and sharing it with me of course and uh, always good to meet another stranger and get to visit about stuff and, Maybe we'll meet up one of these days in the real world. I hope so. I hope when when the the world allows people to meet again, we'll we'll get a chance to cross paths. I'd really like that. And I won't I won't be hurt if if, if, if you turn the other way uh, <laughs> too. So now uh, <laughs> we'll meet we'll meet we'll meet soon. So yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, this has been yeah really nice. Thank, Thank you so you. much, and um, I will I'll be in touch. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. Right. Bye, John. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Gordon Cook, the founder of the London Original Print Fair, which has been held every year since 1985 until this year. We're going to talk the founding of the fair, print dealing in the 21st century and taking the fair digital in the age of COVID. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing help from Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.